Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. On this episode, we have Grady Congleton, who, when we did this interview, had started and was running U Sports Reimagined. He has now evolved that into 4D Sports Medicine. So, as we're talking about U Sports Reimagined in this episode, just keep in mind that the name has changed, but the goal has not. So, everything we talk about is still true, just going at it from a little bit different approach. So, really interesting insight uh, from Grady. He works with high, uh, excuse me, middle schoolers and also just has had some unique experiences on his own that allow him to really go in deep to this conversation and the education that he's trying to provide to parents and coaches to help improve youth sports, not just from the athletic training side, but just overall in general. We are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Uh, It is now August as of this release. They've got some new equipment out with the recovery tools and some a new ankle brace that is one of a kind to say the least so please check them out if you're looking to get any of those things and also their recovery tubs which are completely portable super convenient and obviously a necessity at this time of the year but without further ado please enjoy the episode of athletic training chat we are on with grady congleton who is an athletic trainer and has also started youth sports reimagined which we kind of came across on social media started checking out uh what's been done so far with it uh and it's a really interesting concept and you know the more you're reading about it plus some of the things you probably see on social media is something that probably needs to occur um we were just talking offline. We both have two-year-olds. I don't know about him, but I'm slightly nervous about what sports are going to look like for my kid and have been trying to make packs with myself to not be that parent and do the, some of those things as they get older. But before we jump into everything you sports reimagine, I just wanted to turn it over to you, Grady, to kind of fill in your background on how, where you've come from as an athletic trainer and how you we got to this point and then we'll get more into the details all right well thanks joe i um am an athletic trainer at eagle bus school in dfm massachusetts it's a private middle school uh just uh, grade six to nine and uh i worked in the middle secondary school for more than a decade and um, i graduated from the university of vermont and undergraduate in athletic training and also um, obtained my master's degree at Smith College in exercise and sports studies. So um, in, in, in the master's program, my research interest was centered around long-term athlete development. And this kind of sparked my interest in improving youth sports in some way. You know, there's so many different institutions out there that do a great job of trying to look at youth sports, but how can athletic trainers be part of the process? So that's what I'm looking at. So, so just kind of broad to start off with, how did you sports reimagine kind of get started? What 
brought it to fruition. You referenced, obviously, you did some research around, you know, long-term uh, sport development and youth development. So if you wouldn't mind filling us in. Yeah, so youth sports, we imagine, is kind of an idea that's been going on for a, little, a while. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, since the pandemic, you know, looking at the research, you know, I'm looking at um, youth sports participation, it's gone down since the pandemic started. So, and we, we're looking at, you know, increase in news media stories about umpires getting punched in the face, about unruly parents, and all those different things that you see in the news. So it made me really concerned, um, you know, like you said, about our two-year-old, two um, what kind of system are they going to grow up in? And, um, and I'm hoping that maybe I can make a little bit of a dent and just raising awareness by the value of long-term athlete development. Um, so it's really a combination of a lot of different things that come together to create this idea. And this idea is still evolving. I'm still looking for contributors, different perspectives, um, and things like that. Fantastic. Um... One of the comments you kind of made in just looking at the notes that we had for this, you know, the living vicariously through our children uh, and some of the things that happen there. I, I growing up, don't believe in any kind of hindsight that I experienced that, you know, I, I had interest in things and my parents supported that as much as they could. Um, you know, when we started having conversations about traveling an hour and a half each way for practice for certain things, we discussed very openly if that was something that was worth the time and the investment from everybody um but that's also one that you know having been an athletic trainer more in the collegiate side but still listening to plenty of parents um yelling down at coaches and officials like trying really hard to make sure i'm not that way what have you seen with that and like how that impacts obviously just youth sports in general, but then the, the youth, the actual youth, um, whose parents might display some of those <laughs> um, <laughs> activities. Yeah, I, I say living vicariously, you know, I think as our trainers, we're at the forefront, you know, we witness a lot of different things, but we don't necessarily speak up on it. So um, that's basically what I'm, I'm trying to do is try to raise awareness. So one of the things I've seen about living vicariously through your kids is, that, for example, on social media, you see terms like soccer dads or, or soccer moms or baseball dads or fill in a blank mom or dad, right? Mm -hmm. So when is it about the kids, right? So they have this idea. I don't know. It'd be interesting to know more. I'm, I'm hoping I can talk to more parents, talk to more people, kind of get get the perspective, you know, from a from a point of view that like I want to hear what you know what they're thinking about. So, um, how why are they living back here? Is it because they have insecurities that maybe they didn't, they weren't good athletes, but they want the kids to be good athletes? There's nothing inherently wrong with that but my concern is when is it too much the focus on the adults rather than the kids so the culture really should be hey you know 
Johnny. Can we get any input in this? What do you think about this? What are your interests? Do you rather play for your local team as opposed to traveling, you know, an hour away to practice? You know, and that's taking time out of other things, other interests. So, mm -hmm. and children need multiple interests. They need to be able to explore the world if they're going to be productive adults. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of switching to long-term development model. Um, I will plead some of my naivete on this. Like I've looked into some different things. I know a lot of the different from the strength and conditioning side, um, the associations have put out some different things. And there's a lot of good work out there in that regard. Um, for me, having, again, working in the university setting, you know, our long-term model was a four to five year model of, you know, how do we help someone from when they show up as a freshman until uh, six years for some of them, especially with COVID year mixed in there, but really, you know, get the most out of them of that. What, if you could start with kind of a definition of long-term development from your perspective and looking at it from the youth and then any other kind of details and maybe we'll have a few more offshoot questions from that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Long-term athlete development model or is sometimes abbreviated to LTAD or LTAD, you know, if you want to make up um, a short-term for it. Um, so long-term athlete development model is really a system where, you know, it's bro broken down by ability and age. So, and it defines what a athletes should be doing within that time frame. So it's really a, a kind of a goal wheel to prevent early sports specialization and overuse injuries and burnout. So 70% of kids in youth sports quit by the time they turn 13. And one of the reasons why they're quitting is because they're not having fun anymore. They're burning out or they're getting injured, right? So 13 is where we see a lot of musculoskeletal changes, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, changes due to puberty and growth in adolescence. So we see a lot more injuries happening um, in the body, in the, you know, as we know, the tendons and the muscle um, are not as strong as they should be during that time of excessive growth. So they're at higher risk of injury. So the model is just to really educate parents, coaches, athletic trainers, or anybody on um, kind of like a go wheel to prevent an athlete, say, a 10 from specializing in baseball for nine, nine months out of the year. With that, um, again, you've dove into this way more than I have. Uh, so if this is an obvious question, I'm sorry. Have you found things out there or has there been things developed that are almost kind of sports specific in terms, which I know we, is kind of a four letter word, sports specific. That's, you know, something we like to see athletes, especially young athletes do a lot of different things. Some of those different stresses, or is it just more general guidelines when it comes to youth athletes, especially as you reference those like early double digit years or those teen years? Yeah. So uh, I think the, the youth, the sports specific, um, can be part of the long-term athlete development model. So if they have a strong interest in one sport, sure. then you can develop a plan around that sport. But 
you also need to encourage taking part in other sports to help that, you know, cross training, you know, um, motor development and playing different sports are shown to improve, you know, those things. So um, we, the model can, is the nice thing about the model is that it can be in, individualized. So if you're working with a youth athlete, which I do here at Eagle Book, um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, work with 11 year olds and, you know, they want to start um, weight training. They want to start strength training. They want to start doing these things. So I can say, you know, I can tell them and their parents are like, listen, play three sports here. They're required to anyway. Um, and then here's how you start in the weight room and creating a plan so that they can kind of discover their strengths. If their strength is in baseball, then we can focus on baseball specific activities during the off season. But when in the fall or the winter, they need to play other sports to help them develop as a whole athlete. So in your experience with that in your work in the middle school and like you referenced um, some other places, how have you best been able to, for lack of a better description, sell people on that? Because there is so much, you know, quick, what's going to happen quick? What's going to be the thing that sets me there? And again, we referenced, I've dealt with this in the collegiate level where we found it was division three. Um, so we're not talking the elite of the elite, but still really good athletes. Um, anybody in college is some version of a pretty good athlete. The base, the basics were so much more impactful, like instead of, you know, the bands and the chains and all of the fancy, you know, tech equipment. Yes. Overly super helpful, but not necessarily required. Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a hard sell, for sure. You know, social media and the dopamine hit is real. You know, we want um, stuff now, right? So, but if we can sell a parent, say, listen, if you have an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, have them start the good habits now. And, you know, as we know, like, I, I asked them, you know, when was the last time you were able to get rid of a bad habit? Like it's it's hard. It's hard to get rid of a habit. So mm-hmm. why why not start with your kid and have them start the good habits and avoid the bad ones now and maybe they'll be a little bit more successful as a person, as an athlete. Um and that's basically how I try to sell it. Gotcha. And this question kind of tails off of that. Um best ways to engage people in education. Uh, I was just listening to something on the way in that kind of ties into this, but then you reference social media, which sometimes just seems like if you can yell louder through 240 characters is like the route people go. Um, but then there was a discussion I was listening to on, you know, if you ask somebody why they believe something, that's a lot easier question for people to answer than if you tell them, well, what is it that you actually believe in about this thing and people struggle with that um because they think they have this intent like intrinsic knowledge about it but when they're actually asked the question they may not be as well educated on it as they thought and i know i catch myself being guilty of that all the time so um what have you found the best way to engage people to have those conversations and that education you know you have a background in, in that knowledge and expertise but everybody's a Google search away from finding something that's probably contradictory. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it, I think upbringing naturally want to go the easiest route. So we want to, uh, our brains can't help handle everything. So we want to take the easiest explanation and go with it, right? Um, but when I educate people, I try to keep in mind that you have to be kind and gentle with that person, right? So, you know, I teach two classes here. So I teach anatomy and health. Uh, to the eighth graders here. So when the, and, and teaching kids are a lot easier than teaching adults because kids have a much, you know, as you know, like a more malleable mind. They can change, you know, they can, their minds can be easily changed. But for adults, they have a protective barrier, in my experience, where, you know, if you present them upfront with something that's contradictory, they're going to shut down. With the defense mechanism, you know, they're, role, they're protecting the, the intellectual world. So what I try to do is try to go in the back door, essentially, and say, listen, you know, I have an idea. This might be really beneficial. Let me know if you want to talk. Or, you know, pre- presenting in a way that doesn't completely shut the person down. So I think we need to, as educators, you know, I think a lot of our trainers are educators, too, um, we we need to be mindful of the psychological trauma or uh, barriers that people have around knowledge. So we need to be able to be mindful of that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of doing a little bit of a shift, um, but we uh, just in looking through everything you know that you have on your Substack, you know, breaking down youth sports culture that is toxic uh reference and i'm curious about it you know at the school you work at they're required to play three sports everyone mm-hmm. is that something that was already implemented or did you have a hand in kind of no it's already implemented implemented we've been doing that for as long as anybody here can remember um and it's yeah, go ahead. No, no. Um, yeah, yeah. Please. It's 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 tying the belief that you know we are a middle school where we believe in that everybody should try different things. Okay. And certainly, we do have people who hate sports. Sure. And you know, we offer activities that are kind of like sports, but not not competitive. Right? We have like ultimate discs. You know, we, we offer non-competitive ultimate that we even have a, uh, a recreational pickleball team. Sure. Um, it's, just, it's just a lot of fun. So we, we offer different things, but we believe that at that age, 11 to 15 years old, sometimes 16, um, we, people need to branch out. They need to try different things. So and that's and requiring them to play three sports is part of that mission. I like how there's the flexibility within that. I was I was curious as to how that yeah. goes because forcing somebody to run track and field when they don't <laughs> want to run right. uh, could probably have some disastrous <laughs> results. So uh, that's fantastic that there's a lot of options. Uh, but kind of coming back to that, what have you seen um, as any best practices or useful things? You know, if people are, especially athletic trainers, um, but parents, as we kind of talked about, well, eventually you and I will get into that, I'm sure. Um, but if you're around a toxic youth sport culture, what can you do to kind of help 
crack that or, you know, maybe start shifting the culture? I think talking to parents and getting to know them. And, and one of the great things about working here is that you really do get to know the parents because the middle school kids, right, they're not mature enough to make their own decisions. So you do have to work with parents on a lot of different things. And there's a lot of behavioral um, stuff that does come up. You know, there are the you know, hormones of aging and whatnot. So you can imagine like, you know, a bunch of eighth graders running around. Um, so we work with parents a lot and we kind of, you know, we push the idea on that, okay, what's your perspective on youth sports? Uh, why do you send your kids to Eagle Brook? And it's a, it's a private school. So the, kid, the parents have a choice to mm-hmm. send their, their children here. Um, and I've worked at public school before and in public school, you don't really have much choice. Sometimes you can get away with sending your kids to another school or another town. But one of the great things about working here is I, I get to talk to parents who come from the travel, you know, sports background. And they say, I couldn't do an hour each way. It wasn't feasible for our family. And, you know, he was missing out on social opportunities, missing out on other interests and whatnot. So they send their kid here. So like I have one student who not only is a top-notch hockey player or and a top-notch lacrosse player, he's also a you know cellist in the orchestra. He's also, you know, um in student council on different things. So this is the opportunity kids should be getting. And I want to translate that and inspire other people to start thinking in that avenue. Like, how can we get kids to play sports, but also have time for their other interests and not have them burn out by the time they're 13? Absolutely. We've talked about ATs being in a unique position um, to help kind of educate, and especially in your role in the middle school, um, and any secondary school athletic trainer, um, not that they need one more thing added to their plate because they are mm-hmm. some of the most overworked people in the profession. Um, but that being said, if you could elaborate on some more of the uniqueness of the AT position, you talked about getting in touch with parents, um, but just anything else that you wanted to kind of share on the impact ATs can have on kind of maybe helping shift this trend because at some point I feel like it's one of those it's just going to go so far that it has to revert back and it could be have some really ugly repercussions if it goes too far uh, yeah we don't want the pendulum to swing too far east way sure. it's like you know policy I think sometimes we go from one end to the other yep. end so quickly can't keep up so um but I think one of the things that uh, 80s and secondary school level, so before I come to Eagle Brook, I worked at a um, secondary school in Maine. And, you know, so I have a, a, a unique perspective from grade six to, nine, uh, six to 12. So we are pretty overworked for sure. But I think while a lot of us take pride in working in secondary school, including middle school athletic trainers in that category as well, um, is that we get to really know the kids. And we also get to know the kids who might not be athletes. Sure. And um, 
you know, I worked at Smith College for two years with college, Division Three women's college, and um, you know, everybody there is there to play sports, right? So you don't need to change their minds about um, playing sports. But for a ninth grader coming in, you can have an impact on that person to be in, inspired to play a sport, to be active, and they may not play college ball. And that's okay. You know, we're in that mindset that they, mm-hmm. it's okay if you don't play college ball, but you need to be active for life. So that way you can get the benefits of exercise. Um, and we know, and that's the public health role that we can have as a profession. I like it. Uh, just to kind of summarize on the U Sports Reimagined, you know, and we'll link to everything. Who is that most intended for? What is your target, you know, or what are you hoping people will most take away from the work you're doing with that? I want them to be aware of the different tentacles that have wrapped around youth sports. So you have toxic parents, toxic coaches, um, and then you have athletic trainers who can be involved. You know, we can have a platform where we can talk about these issues but also still provide education on, you know, the stuff that we are experts at, you know, the injury prevention, you know, um, the next post up I'm writing about is concussions and sharing my story about different students that I've been talking to recently and I've asked them, can I share your story about, you know, concussion and making it relatable so that, you know, it's for you know, athletes, uh, parents, coaches, athletic trainers, um, strength and conditioning coaches, really anybody involved in the sports world to not just to, you know, digest, you know, hear the symptoms of concussion, right? We, I think a lot of people are already familiar with that thanks to the huge public health campaign that sure. various yep. organizations have undertaken. Um, but I want to tell a story, like, you know, the preview of this post is a student got concussion initially, and then two weeks later, uh, gets hit again, gets another concussion. So he has two concussion, two concussion in two weeks. Um, and in that time frame, it was vacation, right? I did not see the, the student, mm-hmm. saw the doctor, the doctor cleared him, so that the, he kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. So I want to tell a story. I like, this is what happened. Here are what the consequences were. And, you know, this is why we should, adolescents should pay attention to it. For sure. Anything else we haven't covered yet that you want to cover around U Sports imagine, Reimagined or um, just kind of this general broad topic? Yeah. So, other things I want to say about U Sports Reimagined, I chose that name. Um, just kind of a general name, mm-hmm. that, but I don't want to be in a way that, um, you know, this is on parents or this is on coaches. I want sure. to be a productive um, environment where, you know, anybody's welcome to comment or leave feedback and say, here's what I think. And I am a really firm believer in the saying that, you know, have a strong opinion, but hold it weekly, right? So you have a strong opinion about something, 
But if you're presented with evidence or information that contradicts that opinion, it's okay to change it, right? So we imagine, so we constantly have to reimagine our jobs, our system, our society, um, even though we might not like to. Um, I want to be, I want to make it okay to do that. That's awesome. I, I really like the thought process that went into that, um, into the name and how you're approaching it. I think that's great. So well done in that regard. Um, from there, uh, ready to hop into the AT chat questions? Mm -hmm. First one is where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? If you could kind of set the example. Yeah, I, uh, I don't have a crystal ball like here. Um, oh, if you did, I'm sure you'd be <laughs> spend, spending your time on a beach somewhere retired because you have it all figured that figured out. That's right. <laughs> um, but I do, I'm on the, just a plug here, I'm on the executive board for the athletic trainers of Massachusetts. Okay. Um, so our state organization. Yep. And one of our biggest initiatives is to engage with legislators to change our practice act. In Massachusetts. Yes. Um, and I practice at, I don't know about, you know, Wisconsin, right? So I don't know yep. what it's like in other states, but I, I saw recently that Illinois just updated the practice app. Yep. And that's what we're trying to do here. We have practice app from 1980s-ish, right? And it says and we're violating the practice app, you know, every day. You know, we, we say you only can work with athletes, and we do that for the most part, but it's so restrictive that it doesn't meet the the modern demand for athletic trainers. You know, right. the, it's needed in the workplace. It's needed in industrial settings. It's needed in clinics and doctors want athletic trainers in their offices, right? Um, so we're trying to update it to reflect the... Um, current practice of athletic training and we're looking at it from an economic point of view where like yep. listen you know lawmakers you're most concerned about economic issues right so here's the data here's what we can provide to the economy Massachusetts and beyond um so this is why we need to update and practice that and the other piece of it to kind of a long-winded answer here but um the other piece too, we have to improve our relationship with physical therapists. And they've they've blocked our efforts for so many years. Yeah. Um, and it's based in misunderstanding of what we do, right? Sure. So you know, if you talk to the members of the PT profession, they are very supportive of our trainers. They hired us in their businesses and practices, which is awesome. But we need to educate those in leadership positions to um, work with us. And we've made tremendous progress in our front. And I see us um, doing that, even though I think a lot of people are skeptical of that. And, you know, that's a natural feeling to have, but I think we can make great progress in kind of creating partnership and friendship with other professions. Yeah, we're, we're in the middle of some of that as well. We kind of had a three-step thing we're trying to do in Wisconsin. We had to have physician signature on our kind of protocols, if you will. Um, we got that removed, and now we're trying to put some parity language around insurance 
in everything in our practice act, which will be its own unique battle. But then ultimately, um, I think when ours was originally written, they did a good job keeping it a very broad scope of who we could treat. But the mm-hmm. word vigorous is still in there. And that's where a, a lot of hang up comes with who we can see and who we can't see from um, our license uh, perspective. So yes, we're in those same the same discussions that uh, that you guys are working through as well. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, I've worked in different states. I've worked in Maine. You know, I went to college in Vermont. Um, and I've worked in New York State, and now I'm in Massachusetts. And I do Purdue work in Connecticut as well. And they are practice that in Connecticut. Says so uh, yeah, I've heard from our state can practice in Connecticut for thirty days per calendar year. It's mm-hmm. a lot. It's pretty cool. Um. But the best one I've encountered so far is Maine, where it's direct access. It, it says literally anybody who's physically active can consult with the athletic trainer for their yep. needs. Um, and then, but it says like if it doesn't get better after 14 to 21 days, then it needs to be referred to a physician, uh, which I thought is pretty broad, pretty flexible. Sure. And um, and that's where I like to see the athletic training profession to kind of you know, we should be able to treat any physically active individual. And those people know the value of athletic trainers, but we're, we're not, you know, we're not trying to take PT binges away. We're not right. trying to do all these things. You know, we're, in fact, we should be showing our economic value and say, listen, I can treat this person, save you time, save you money, because it's, it's expensive to bring in a patient to your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, save you time, save you money. But if the person really needs it, we know who to refer that person to, right? So for that type of people, I think, and we need to show that. Yeah, I think there's a misperception of scarcity, which I'm sure is very like specific to each location and, you know, where people are at and obviously, but I feel like in most instances, there's more than enough patients to go around Uh, I know we've run into that a little bit in the health system I'm in PT is booking out three weeks but there's a huge hesitation about letting ATs even in the short term just to help expedite some things which is going to be better for the patient to see patients Um, so we're working through some of that of you know we're not we're literally not going to steal anybody from you we're just going to make everybody seemingly a little bit happier which I believe should be the ultimate goal, but. Right. And when you talk about, you know, I like, um, I like to talk about economics. Like my favorite podcast is uh, a podcast called Freakonomics. Yeah. Um, it's really popular. Yep. And it talks about like, you know, economics is everywhere. And it right. kind of started applying that to the athletic training profession. Sure. Um, and I, I really like that frame of mind where like we, we, we need to, find the numbers to prove ourselves yep. um, and if we can show that like listen um if you increase supply of healthcare professionals pt ats whatnot then you increase demand for it it's i know it's, it kind of runs counter to increase supply you know right reduce demand um but i think in healthcare it's different because you know everybody needs some sort of intervention right yep. so i have you know a bad i have a um you know fia 
FAI in my hip right now. I've been delaying surgery for years, but eventually I'm going to need surgery, right? So eventually I'm going to need ATPT doctor to help me out. So we all will need services at some point. So, but we, I feel like healthcare is too restrictive today and we're not providing enough opportunity for patients to engage with healthcare services. For sure. I completely agree. What advice would you go back and give yourself as a young athletic trainer? And if you could kind of set when that would have been in your career. I I think um, we haven't talked about this yet, but if the your audience doesn't know yet, I'm deaf in both ears. Um, I wear a coconut implant, you know, for, I'm wearing my headphones here so I can hear better. Um, so one of the things I wish I'd done when I was younger was advocate for myself. You know, I've tried to fit in into the um the athletic training world. I want to be part of the Division One University of Vermont experience that did not self accuracy or support was a very private thing. So one of the things I wish I should have done was build relationships through my deafness, you know, um, and embrace that. And people in since publishing that article about, you know, being a deaf author trainer, I got more than a thousand views on it. There's so many comments like, wow, awesome. you know this. Could you come and speak to my group, my practice, whatever, and just talk about how to treat deaf athletes or athletes uh, disabled or semi disabled uh, sure. or what have you, the language, whatever language you use, um, try to gain awareness around different things. I also think that if we can share each of our stories, that why we became athletic trainers, the challenges that we face, maybe is uh, a major injury or a life event or what have you, you know, you can start to appreciate why people do what they do. Absolutely. What has been the most influential resource you have found so far in your career? So at University of Vermont, I, uh, my sophomore year, I was assigned to a high school in, in the Burlington, Vermont area. And there was an athletic trainer there who's been there for years. And she's, you know, I can, her name's Denise Alosa. And she's really big and she was, I think she's like semi-retired now, but um, she was really big on the NADA Secondary School Committee. And she really taught me how to advocate for the profession. And she was the one that, um, you know, if I had, didn't have anybody to go to conferences with, you know, maybe I was traveling along with none of my colleagues or friends were going, she would be the one to just hang out and go to all the different events. Um, so it's just a person who, just didn't, who never really thought about herself, but helping other people. And that's the type of trainer I want to be. So she played a huge part in my, um, in my career. Awesome. As an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> Uh, the, the magic question, right? Right. So everybody wants to know, like, what's the secret sauce? To I can't remember like who that. suggested it that, that we add that, but I was like, that is fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. We, I'm, that's a question I'm glad we added. Yeah, and I think uh, 
everybody unique. You know, you need to find your passion and really writing the substack okay. is what it's actually what even though it's still athletic training, you still have to think about my you know, athletic training. The writing piece is something I love to do. And I'm a big book guy. I like to read books and um, you know, I'm a big fan of Adam Grant Think Again book or oh, Time so and Habits. Good. Yeah, and Time and Habits. Haven't um, read it but need yeah. to. Yeah, so I would definitely if you haven't read those books, definitely read those. Um it gives you different perspectives. Um and also the other thing is I try not I'm still working on it, but try not to reinvent the wheel too. You know, if you're at the end of the day, everybody's gone home, you have a pile of notes that you need to, you know, type up. Maybe find a way to shorten that process down. So maybe what I do, um, there's all these, you know, the speech to text yep. things doesn't really work for me because my speech isn't quite there to, you know, for the software to recognize it, which sure. is frustrating and difficult for sure. But what I do is I, I just simply write down all the key components on a post-it note, keep it on my desk, maybe cover it so no one sees it, um, and then come back to it next morning. You know, I try not to finish it. Like if, sometimes I feel like I need to finish it, otherwise yep. I'm never going to be able to get to it. But of creative system where I can draw my memory the next morning, finish the notes when I have my cup of coffee, when I'm relaxed and refreshed, um, yep. and, and I can enjoy my evening rather than, you know, stay, I used to stay in the office at 7 p.m. before going home, sure. or 8 p.m. before going home. And it really helped my work-life balance and my time with my family. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that one, because if I was coming home at 6.30 or 7 each night, I wouldn't be seeing the little one because that that's bedtime. So if you could change or eliminate one thing could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset, or whatever of your choosing in the field of athletic training, what would it be? I think, you know, in terms of, you know, we talked about economics, right? And my interest in it, you just stop taking low paying job. And I think as a profession, we need to start educating ourselves and I'm still educating myself on the power of negotiation yes. and and thinking about okay negotiation isn't who wins or who loses right and the employer is going to have a lot of power to begin with anyway so we need to start fighting that power and start thinking about okay what does your organization need and negotiation is a way to educate them okay this is our value you know I can pull up data from this year, my school um, or my previous school and say, listen, this is the, the value of the work that I provide. I'm not looking for, I know you don't have the budget for $100,000, right? Which is the value that I provide here. Um, but can you at least provide, you know, a decent salary, right? right? So it's, and I think a lot of times they, it's, it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be pain. It's a painful point because sometimes we feel like we have to take a job because, you know, being an athletic trainer, a lot of us taking up debt, including myself, um, you know, taking up a lot of time and resources to become athletic trainers. So I think we have this tendency to feel like we have to take a job immediately, right? Yep. To validate our own 
sense of work. But we, if we can change the culture, like it's okay if you don't find a job right away, mm -hmm. right? You can fill in the blank. You know, there's so many different things you can do. Obviously, I'm not speaking for anybody specific. You know, everybody's got the unique challenges and whatnot, and they need to meet their own decisions on this. But I think as a profession, we need to stop taking low-paying jobs and um, help our employers understand our value. Absolutely. Last question. Uh, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? So being an athletic trainer is uh, something that I see in, in the secondary school level as someone being like, being a trusted adult. You know, I, um, I, I think you get this everywhere you go, but um, I've created I want to create a culture in the FR training facility where it's not just a clinical space like the doctor's office or PT office, but a space where students walking by can pop in and say hello. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, my last school, I had a little coffee machine. I had an 18, 19 year old senior just come in every day, grab a cup of coffee, say hi, have a little chat. And, you know, maybe during that time, I be talking about nutrition or sleep or mental health challenges. Um, and then he'll go to practice feeling a little bit better. So we're not just hands-on people. We're also the counselors sometimes. You know, we know our scope. We know that like we shouldn't be treating the mental sure. health problem. Yep. I refer plenty of students to counselors and therapists, but they they can be the first point of contact and we do have the empathy and the tra and limited training to be able to talk with these students and be the trusting adult. So that's what being an athletic trainer means to me because a lot of times they're in the training room at the lowest point of their athletic career. So um, right. that is, you know, that, that is a really powerful way to make a trusting adult connection. Fantastic. Um, in closing, anything else you wanted to share? Um, so I wrote in my notes that I, I mentioned yep. Adam Grant. So I'm a big fan of uh, Think Again. Um, and I encourage athletic trainers to read this or anybody who's listening to this. Um, and what Adam Grant argues is that we should be okay with being wrong. But like I mentioned, um, you can have a strong opinion, but hold a weak thing. You know, mm -hmm. when you're so if you look at scientists, right, if he has a pyramid, right, of different um, names. The top is scientists, I forget what the middle one, and the bottom are like politicians or um, preachers, right? Yep. The people in the bottom, they firmly hold onto the belief and they don't want to change it because they're, they're afraid of being wrong. They're afraid of, you know, their um, worldview being shattered, right? And when the top is scientists, uh, people who engage with people who disagree with them, who engage with ideas that might disagree with their own ideas. And as athletic trainers, I think we can benefit greatly from um, these ideas. You know, the idea of like, it's okay to change. It's okay to be wrong. Like ice, for example. Like we were icing everybody 10 years ago, but sure. now half of us are saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't ice anymore. Sure. Um, or um, there's another example. We um, 
I forget what the other example was, but uh, ice was a, a big thing. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, just as we wrap up, if and we'll link all of this in the show notes so people can take a look at it. If people wanted to follow you or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So I right now I'm I have social media accounts everywhere and probably not the best practice. Um, but just check out my Instagram account. If you type in use sports reimagine, my account should pop up. Yep. And um and that same thing, you know, I'm trying out TikTok a little bit. I'm not a huge fan of TikTok right now. Um, but you can check us out there. Um, you can also subscribe to my newsletter. Um, if you type in uh, my name Grady ATC That's my newsletter. You can subscribe to it. I only post like once a week. Um, so you're not flooded with emails. For sure. Um, and I think if you provide feedback and leave a comment, I would love to hear from different athletic trainers. And if you have an idea that you're so eager, maybe inspired by me to by us by our conversation to. Uh, write about something that you're really interested in, maybe an expert in it, I would welcome um, authors, co-authors to come and write different articles. It's subtitled, a unique feature where I can actually include people as a co-author on certain awesome. articles. So um, I'm willing to do all that. Just let me know. Sounds great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to share um about you sports reimagined and for the work you've already done and have planned to do in the future so uh, i really appreciate you taking that time and look forward to following what you're doing in the future thank you thank you, thank you for listening and watching this episode of athletic training chat we truly appreciate you guys taking the time to hear from different athletic trainers across the country and what they're doing and the impact they're having as always we had mentioned we are powered by mueller sports medicine we are still partnering with them on our throw a lifeline program this is a program to get some basic emergency supplies to athletic trainers for whatever reason don't have the resources or the support to get those. It is a crowdfunded effort, so you're helped out by just listening to the ad at the beginning of the episode. And also, if you would like to check out clinicallypress.com backslash throw a lifeline to make any monetary donation if you're able and willing. We truly appreciate it. 100% of what you put in goes right back into the Throw a Lifeline program. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next episode.